Let's take a second to tell you about one of our partners, Dr. Dish. Dr. Dish basketball shooting machines are the most high-tech and durable basketball shooting machines on the market. Each shooting machine was designed specifically for high-repetition training to allow players to improve through technology. Dr. Dish offers game-like training to give hundreds of shooting reps in just minutes and provide powerful analytics to help players improve their game. Dr. Dish has also introduced Skill Builder, which is the first of its kind in the basketball shooting machine industry that enables players and coaches to stay connected, design and upload training exercises, and instantly receive feedback on their workout, allowing for real-time adjustments and improved performance. It is, without question, the most innovative basketball training machine on the market. To learn more about Dr. Dish, log on to drdishbasketball.com or follow them on Twitter at drdishbball. Don't forget to mention Coaching You and receive $300 off on your next Dr. Dish purchase. That's right. Mention Coaching You or the podcast and get $300 off your Dr. Dish. Hey, welcome to another edition of our Coaching You podcast with the coach, Brendan Sir, and got a real treat for you today. We have Nick Hayes, former Navy SEAL, going to talk about his new book, Elite. It's all about high-performing lessons that you need, whether you're a coach or a performer. After this timeout, we'll be back with Nick Hayes. Let's meet our newest sponsor, Max One. Max One is the all-in-one coaching app that allows you to bring your team to train, communicate, and stay organized all in one easy-to-use spot. One thing I love about Max One is the convenience of every feature. You can easily create individualized workout for each player on your team with videos attached to each workout and deliver them to your athletes' phones, eliminating spreadsheets and paper handouts. Staying true to being an all-in-one platform, the communication features really can't be beat. Giving you the ability to send messages to athletes, coaches, and even parents with the touch of a button. Calendars can also be loaded into Max One, allowing you to organize your program with color-coded schedules and events. With my experience as a coach, I know the importance of the athlete-coach connection. Max One gives any coach at any level a way to start showing up where athletes are spending up to six hours a day with their eyes fixed on their phone. I was blown away by not only the number of tools offered by Max One, but the seamless ease of use. After talking with the Max One team, I can tell they share that my same passion for helping coaches and athletes get better. With a team of former coaches and athletes, Max One brings valuable expertise to a place of need in the coaching community. I've seen the value of Max One can bring to your program. I wouldn't want you to miss this awesome platform. To see if Max One would be a good fit for your program, head to their website at gomaxone.com and schedule a free 15-minute demo with a Max One program specialist. Mention that Coach Brendan Sir sent you and receive a special 10% off if you decide to purchase this already affordable platform. Again, visit www.gomaxone.com right now to schedule your free demo and you won't be disappointed. Remember, gomaxone.com. 
Fast Model Sports is the world's most versatile basketball coaching software to help power your preparation. Fast Model has developed the industry's best coaching software, including the number one play diagramming and playbook software, FastDraw. FastDraw bridges the gap between whiteboarding and the digital world with an incredibly easy to use interface that can be used on both your computer and your iPad, providing maximum portability for your own personal play and drill database. Doesn't stop there. Along with FastDraw, they have other great programs such as FastScout, which I have used, which helps coaches create clean professional sky reports customized for your team. Fast Model is trusted and used by every NBA team and WNBA team and 85% of Division I college teams and over 8,000 high school and youth teams from over 75 countries around the world. In addition to a great product, they also provide basketball coaching resources through their blog and play bank, which features over 5,000 free plays and drills for their online coaching community. For access... To these plays and more information, visit FastModelSports.com or follow them on Twitter at FastModel. And today is a treat because we're going to have someone that I just admire so much. I love what they stand for, what they do. Our guest today is Nick Hayes a former Navy SEAL, but the reason he's here is John Gordon, one of our best friends at Coaching You, said, Brendan, you have to get Nick on. He's got a great new book, but I'm telling you, you will love him, and so we all of our coaches. So Nick Hayes, welcome, my friend. Brendan, thanks for having me on, man. It's great to be here. Well, you know, tell me about, I loved your title, Elite, because many of us want to be elite, few of us are. Tell me how you came up with the title. Well, it's funny. Actually, John helped me with the title as well. He's become a a mentor of mine over the years. And, you know, one thing that I've realized is, well, I I have the privilege to have served at the highest level of the military, um, highest level of education. And then I've been involved in a few sports teams over the years. And what I've seen is that a lot of the high performing individuals that we would call elite have a lot in common. You know, it doesn't matter if you're talking to a bobsled team in Switzerland or, or a SEAL team in Southern California. The principles that they live and die by are going to be similar. It's kind of like the laws of physics, you know. They're going to work on the South Pole. They're going to work on the North Pole. just doesn't matter where you are. So I wanted to take some of those principles together and package them in a way that it's super applicable to your life, stuff that you can put in your life, you know, right now. Um, I think that everyone is on a journey to become elite. People have different words for it. People call it success, which is hard to define. Is that a monetary thing? You know, are we talking about money? Are we talking about aspirations? Are we talking about our families and, you know, who we are as fathers and as husbands and all this stuff? It means something different to everyone. And I think elite really captures the essence of what that is. When you, uh, when you decided, I, I think it's so great to tell everyone how you made this monumental, life-changing decision, all the great thought that went into it of how you decided to become a Navy SEAL to make one of the biggest steps in one's life. How old were you? And what was the process? (laughs) You know, one thing that I think a lot of SEALs have in common, like you'll hear the number 12 a lot, uh, 12 years old, 11 years old. For me, it was, I think, my seventh grade year. So 
whatever age that is. Um, there was a, a group of us, friends of mine. I lived in Tucson, Arizona at the time, and we were all athletes. We wrestled together. We played football together, this and that. But um, we were just kind of in line as far as pushing ourselves in any way that we could. You know, one of the things that we did together was we climbed over Mount Lemon, which starts at like, you know, 2,500 feet. And then you go up over 9,000 feet and then back down the other side. You know, we did that like eighth grade year of, mm-hmm. uh, of education. So we were really young. We were always pushing it together. And it was two brothers, me, and then a, a couple of other friends. The oldest brother was a pretty scary dude. I was always really intimidated by this guy. I saw him do some damage on the wrestling mat, uh, uh, mat sometimes. And uh, I held him in the highest regard. And it was his idea at first. And, I, you know, I was like, OK, that's that's all well and good. But, you know, keep in mind, this was before all these movies came out. This is before Bin Laden. This is before, like, people really knew what a seal was. Mm-hmm. I think it was like a movie with Charlie Sheen at the time. And, and that was about it. So we started doing as much research as we could, watching all the Discovery Channel videos um, and everything else. And it just started to burn like a fire within all of us. Um, the two brothers went in after high school. I ended up going down to Ole Miss to college. They were successful, made it through training, which is interesting. Um, three of us growing up, and we all made it. Um, so th- they were at their first SEAL team. I was down at school, and we invaded Iraq in March 2003. And I realized that my brothers, they were really like brothers to me, were about to go into this thing, and it was going to be without me. And even though I had wanted to do it, I wanted to go to college first. But that changed the game. So I dropped out of school like the next day, and I went down to the Navy recruiting office, and uh, told him what I wanted to do. So I love that my story starts as a college dropout. I think that's the best way to, to kick things off. But um, yeah, it was interesting. I walked into the recruiter office and the guy looked at me. I told him I wanted to be a SEAL. You know, one thing you can't tell right now um, just by listening to me, but I'm a little guy. I'm like five foot nothing, you know. <laughs> so I walk into this office and this guy's looking at me like I don't have a prayer. So he talked me into this other job that was non-SEAL related. So the way it was at the time, you had to have a SEAL source rating um, to get to SEAL training, which we call BUDS. This was a job that did not have a SEAL source rating. So I wouldn't be able to go to BUDS, but I didn't know that. Wow. So I, I signed the paperwork. I'm all excited. I call my brothers. I'm like, hey, I will see you soon. And they told me that I'd been had. So I had a bad moment, didn't know what to do. And the only thing that I could think of was, you know what? I need to learn a thing or two. I need to become an expert right now so I can navigate this situation. So I learned everything about the policy. I learned about boot camp. When are you actually in? You know, apparently you're not in until you get to boot camp. So everything I had signed was more or less like aspirational. Um, And then I saw something saying that they weren't allowed to send anyone to boot camp who had had a fresh tattoo within 30 days or something like that. So as I'm talking to these guys, I'm like, you've got to change my contract. I don't want to do this job. I know what I want to be. And they were saying, no, 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 you already signed. They're lying to me because they have wickets that they need to fill, right? They have numbers that they're working with. They cared more about themselves than the rest of my career. So um, the day before I was supposed to ship out, I showed up with my first of, of many tattoos on my back and I showed him, I said, Hey, we got to rewrite that contract. And the guy looked at me with absolute disgust and said, okay. So I got my brothers on the phone. I said, you're going to talk to them from here on out. And they guided him in the process. So my contract was written the exact way that I needed it to be written for me to get to where I wanted to be. 
I learned a valuable lesson right then now. You know, I learned that uh, just because somebody says no doesn't mean you can't do it. It just means you can't do it with them. When a roadblock jumps out in front of you, you've got a couple options, right? You can go around the wall, you can go over it, or you can blast through it with your thick forehead. <laughs> I think that's kind of what I did in that moment. I had to become an expert, and then I had to, to make sure that I was going to be where I needed to be. So, Nick, when, like, you know, last night I'm watching SEAL Team, one of my favorite shows, man. I, I, how real is that compared to what you did? You know, a lot of those, a lot of those TV shows, a lot of those movies, they'll pretty much take like every op that somebody would have in an entire career and condense them down to maybe a season or maybe like an hour and a half movie. So yeah, it shows this really ferocious op tempo. Um, that's not always the case. Sometimes there's downtime. Sometimes there's paperwork that you didn't see coming. I'm sure no different than, you know, becoming a coach, sure. um, to where, you know, you watch Hoosiers and you're like, this is what my life's going to be like. It's like, Oh yeah. How about those reports? <laughs> <laughs> so there's a lot of the behind the scenes stuff. That's a little bit more arduous that wouldn't play well on camera. What talk about, uh, you know, preparation is probably the biggest thing to becoming elite. And I think, you know, the, the problem nowadays with players, young players, young coaches, is they want to skip steps. And so talk about the preparation that you had to go through to become elite. That's a, that's a great point. Nowadays, we live in this generation that I can prepare food in a microwave. You got a problem, there's a pill for that. There's an app for that. You know, we, we want really expedient solutions. And that is not the way the world works. To put it in perspective, for a Navy SEAL, I went to boot camp. That's a couple months. Then I went to an A school, which is just some arbitrary job that I never did. That was another three months. And then I got to in-dock, the first little phase of BUDS, which is the first part of SEAL training. Uh, that was a month long. Then there were two weeks of training before I went to Hell Week. Now, Hell Week's legit. That's where we lose a majority of our people. It's five and a half days. You're up the entire time. You're either in the water getting hypothermia or you're under a log or under a boat running, um, which is just insane. Um, so you put on like 200 miles. You know, we, we lost so many people through that part of the training. And that's just how it starts. From then on, you got another couple months of first phase. You move into second phase, which is diving. That's two months long. Then you go to third phase. You finally get to start shooting guns and doing some SEAL stuff. But it's very basic. So that's two months long. So at the end of BUDS, which is including NDOC, like seven months long, then you still don't wear a trident. Now, the trident is our insignia that we wear on our uniforms. It's a big, gold, gaudy piece of uh, jewelry that's just phenomenal, you know, mm -hmm. that we kind of idolize in, in, in some ways. Um, you still don't get to put that on. You've been through Hell Week. You've been through all this stuff. Guess what? You're not even there yet. Then we went to Fort Benning to learn how to jump out of airplanes. Then we go to SEAL qualifying training which is another four to five months where now you're actually doing real tactics. You're having fun. I mean, it was a great time, but you're not a SEAL. After that, we went to cold weather training up in Alaska for over a month, sleeping out of snow caves, doing everything else. Um, at the end of that, then we get to put on our tridents. And now we're officially Navy SEALs. But guess what? We haven't done anything yet. All we've done is prove that we're not going to quit. So we get our SEAL team and then you show up to your SEAL team and guess what? It's time to train. So now you join up with a platoon. 
There's people in the platoon who have a lot of experience, and then there's people who are new guys. You're one of those new guys. So now you go through uh, three or four months of professional development. Say they need snipers, you get to go to sniper school, right? Say they need breachers, you get to go to breacher school, learn how to blow stuff up. Then you go into a, a part of training where you start bringing the platoon together and going through specific iterations designed for specific targets. So maybe, you know, this week we're working how to take down gas and oil platforms from, from helicopters. Next week, it's ship takedowns. Next week, it's land warfare. You cover all this stuff for months. All said and done, when you form up in that platoon, it's a year and a half more before you ever deploy. So all said and done, you're training for three to four years before you even step foot on the battlefield. That's preparation. That's what it takes to be elite. And if you're not in it for the long haul, you have the wrong job. How everyone that comes out of the SEALs that I, you know, is, you know, whether it's Jocko Wilnick, guys like yourself, people in the corporate world, in the sports world, we want to learn from you. What are the lessons that they can learn to help me as a coach, a world-class coach, I want to learn from you, whether I'm still coaching in the NBA, I'm coaching in college. I've got, you know, like my friend Eric Spolster, you know, from Miami. If I've got one of the best teams in the league, it doesn't matter. Or if I'm even just a what, – what, what are the lessons you're going to teach? Yeah, that, that's what's funny is working in athletics, whenever I go into a head coach, you know, Spo is no exception. You go into his office and you see all these military leadership books. You go into a military leader's office and you see all these athletic leadership coaching books. I love it because, you know, a little bit of separation gives you another vantage point to see what you're doing. And there's tremendous um, value in that because a lot of the same principles, you know, cross over. I think first and foremost, I, I would say that you have to understand the difference between being a leader and being a mentor, being a coach and being a mentor. We all have those coaches that shaped our lives growing up. They gave us that little bit of course correction that over time amounted to a substantial difference in where we were going. You know, it's, it's one of those things like if, if you've ever done navigation via compass with the compass trying to get from A to B, one or two degrees off on that bearing and you're not going to wind up where you thought you were going. You might not even know that you're one or two degrees off, but it's just enough degradation to change your outcome entirely. And the best way to mitigate that is with mentorship, right? One thing that we, we do very well in the SEAL teams. Actually, do you mind if I share a story with you about a mentor that, that really changed my life? Absolutely, please. Cool. So, so in, my, in my first platoon, like I told you, right, all this training out of the way, still haven't done anything. I show up to the SEAL team just way too cocky, way too cocky. And everyone's cocky when they first show up, right, because they haven't been humbled yet by real world experience. Um, I think I argued with the gate guard on the way in because I wasn't wearing the proper piece of reflective equipment for my motorcycle or something stupid, but it caused me to be about two minutes late for a morning meeting. Um, that's a big deal in my community. So my platoon chief, Jim Boa, my platoon chief, which now that's the, the guy with the most experience in the mm -hmm. platoon. He's been around, he's done seven deployments. Um, he knows how things work. I walk into this meeting and he says, hey, Nick, go ahead and stick around after the meeting. I got something I want to share with you. So we we have our meeting. Afterwards, I stick around. And he goes, he goes, listen, Nick, it's, it's not that big of a deal, but obviously everybody had to wait on you. So give me a favor. Fill a rucksack, which is a backpack, 
up with 50 pounds of weight and run up the Paraloft Tower, which is a five-story building, one time for every guy in the platoon. And then we'll call it even. No worries. So I thought he was kind of kidding with me because that that's the punishment doesn't fit the crime, man. I'm two minutes late for this meeting and I got to run up, you know, five stories, 20 times with 50 pounds on my back. Man, I was furious. So I went downstairs, grabbed my rucksack, threw 50 pounds in there. Um, this is like 930 in the morning at this point. And Jim, who knew what I was doing. Had followed me down. I was like, Nick, you can't do it right now, man. That's not like you can't in, in place of a workout. That's not even a punishment. You know, you got to wait till after work. That way, it actually stings a little. And he's got a smile on his face. Well, the thing is, is that we had a night dive that night, so we had to prepare all this sensitive equipment and then go out dive. You know, recover. It's like midnight. Um, it, it was just a really long day. We recover from this dive and it's like, you know, midnight, 1230. And I am absolutely livid. When you're done with a dive too, it's not like you're done. Now you have to get all the equipment where it needs to go. Freshwater rinse all your equipment. I mean, it's another hour of work. By the time that's done, I go, I pick up my rucksack and I'm heading over to the Paraloft Tower. And I saw my chief, Jim, sitting over there by the doors. Now at this point, man, I'm pissed. I'm thinking, what, is he going to sit there with a stopwatch? Is he going to rub it in? Does he not trust me to do it? That's what got me. Does he not trust me to do it? Is this an integrity thing? Um, but as I got closer, I saw that Jim was wearing a rucksack on his back. I walked up to him and he says, you know, Nick, you ready to hit this thing? And I told him, I said, what are you doing? He goes, listen, man, I, I'm in charge. I'm your leader. Your failures are my failures. Your successes are my successes. We are in this together. And he shot up the stairs. Wow. I followed him up and we ran every single flight of stairs together for the next couple hours. <laughs> he never gave me a hard time. He never brought it up again. We talked about God, family, and the rest of it, man. Never brought it up again. What I learned in that moment, like, it wasn't about the punishment. What he did was he grabbed a hold of me and he said, Nick, you are mine. From here on out, you are mine. He committed himself as my mentor for the rest of that platoon. Now we got all these blocks of training, right? Say we're in the desert. Say we're in the jungle. Say we're underwater. Your equipment that you take into those situations, it's always a little bit different. It's different pieces of equipment. I made every piece of equipment that I had look exactly like Jim's. How about that? Because he'd been around the block. He's done seven platoons. Maybe there's a thing or two I could learn from this man. He grabbed me, man, and I trusted him. I learned about parenting. I learned about being a father. I learned about character and what that really means beyond performance, right? Character, which is what really matters. He grabbed a hold of me and then he just instilled all that stuff into me. Man, that's mentorship. That's what a leader does. Now, in the SEAL teams, we have that pretty, pretty down pat. And I know that in athletics, that's something that's, that's pretty easy to grab a hold of. You know, the coaches that listen to this podcast probably have some similar stories themselves. But my challenge is this. You got to know that, yes, it's important to be a mentor at all times. It doesn't matter your age. You can be a mentor. My seven-year-old daughter mentors my five-year-old son all the time. And I'm glad for it, right? Because she knows a thing or two more than he does. But you have to remember, it's not enough just to be a mentor. You need mentorship yourself. And that never stops. You have to have one. You have to be one at all times. And if you have people in your life that have radically shaped where you are, 
you know, where you're going, your, your outlook and this and that. It's really important to reach out to them. Reach out to them and tell them thank you. Give them feedback. Say, here's what you did. And here's what grabbed a hold of me. Say it's been 20 years. Man, that's going to matter for two reasons. One, that person's going to know that it's working and they need to keep it up. Two, man, it's going to inject them with energy. It'll help them get through burnout. It'll help keep them going. So always pay it forward. Mentorship, man. That's that's something that uh, the SEAL teams instilled in me appropriately. And, and Nick, uh, you coach coaches, okay? I, I know that, and that's something I've done a lot of and do a lot of. Um, and, you know, I have coaches that coach me still, even though I've coached people for 45 years, I still have people that coach me. Um, if in coaching other coaches, what are some of the important things? You mean as someone who coaches other coaches? Yes. Like, you, you know, if you were coaching me, uh, what are some of the things that, you know, you want to help me with in general? Check. I, I think first an approach to frame it, you know, you have to know that there's not some big box answer. You know, what's appropriate for somebody may not be appropriate for someone else. And that's for a couple different reasons. You know, the, the view of the room depends on where you sit, right? So you have to first know where someone is currently and then two, where they want to be. And that direction of travel isn't going to be the same for everybody. Somebody might struggle with getting way too fired up. You know, the FU start coming out and they kind of lose their influence in, in, in the organization. Other people might struggle with being a little bit too low tone and not stepping up and taking charge. Well, you can't give the same advice to those two people, right? You have to come at it knowing, hey, I'm going to read and react. I'm looking at this fresh. I haven't seen this before because I don't know the nuances that make this person tick, but I'm going to learn those nuances. I'm going to learn where they want to be. And then I'm going to offer constructive criticism. Now, constructive criticism is, is tricky, right? Like in business school, they always say, Hey, you got to say two or three good things and then something bad. And then sandwich that with something good because, but, but you know, in athletics, you can get away with a little bit more than that because we got thick skin, right? Those hard conversations, the ones that intimidate you a little bit, the ones that keep you up at night, those are the ones you have to have. Now, I've been in that situation myself. Sometimes it's about talking to the coach and telling them to have that conversation with someone on their staff. If something is intimidating you, there's a good chance you probably need to do it. It's intimidating you for a reason. Maybe you need the reps, right? Mm -hmm. You know, oh, you work with uh, football and basketball teams and, and corporate America also. What is the hardest thing to get uh, through to them to become a winning team, in your opinion? Right. This is, I mean, this is like ordering a, a meal off the Cheesecake Factory. There's so many <laughs> items on that list. Man. But, you know, I think first and foremost, what I would, one of the problems I've seen the most is people tend to assign more value to talent than they do character. Mm-hmm. This is something that will always get in the way. And I, I can refer back to my time in, in the SEAL teams for this. Um, you know, there was a person in my in my class before we went through Hell Week who was, you know, an Olympian pentathlete. This guy was an incredible athlete, open door policy with everybody, really nice guy. The guy just just had it. You know, he was the pillar of strength for um, for the Buds class. And I'll never forget on Monday night at Hell Week, the sun's going down. We're laying down in the cold water. You know, everybody's uh, getting hyperthermia and this and that. And I started hearing these 
these murmurs down the line saying, hey, oh boy's quitting, oh boy's quitting. And I looked up and I see this guy who, again, was an Adonis. I mean, the man amongst men. This guy's a shoe And I see him walking towards this bell to ring that bell loud, signifying to the class that he's quitting. And I'll never forget that moment when me, you know, little Nikki, sitting there in the surf zone looking at this guy who was an absolute shoe in and he's quitting and I'm still right here, man. I felt so powerful in that moment, you know. Um, and the reason we have our training built that way is because we don't necessarily want the highest performers. We want the person that you want to work with. We're concerned more with culture than we are with potential cancer. And that's one thing I've seen is that cancer, it can have talent, man. And I'll tell you what, surgery is tough. Recovering from surgery is tough, but it's better than dying of cancer. A little bit of negative influence in your organization, regardless of the talent, is going to bring down the hole. I mean, what is cancer but a, a group of cells that are outperforming the cells around it? Then those cells start to emulate the cancerous cells and eventually destroys the organization. So place a higher value on the people that you want to coach. Character, teachability, the ability to play well with others, right? Um, and if you build a, an organization around that, then the sky is just the limit. And then you bring in some young talent underneath that. And guess what? Now they have influencers above them that are going to show them how to be, how to behave. You know, and they're not going to challenge those people. It takes time, but placing a higher value on culture and on character, um, I think, is a winning formula. One of the most important things in a team's success, I think, is execution. How? What? What? What secret? Or there is no secret. But what are what are some ways that you learned? Uh, maybe through seals. Maybe through some of the lessons you learned through seals on how to get teams to best learn how to execute? You know, one, one good trick of the trade here is to do a hot wash at the end of the day. So, I, you know, I did this at Harvard Business School. I did this um, in the SEAL teams. I did this as a contractor um, for a paramilitary branch of an agency out there. Um, I, I've seen this, this all over the place. And it works really well is when you're done at the end of the day, that's when you need to sit down and write your lessons learned binder, keep a running binder and say lessons learned, put it down, write it down. You cannot forget this, right? Um, when the stakes are really high and it's life or death, well, that's a nice little kick in the pants to make sure it happens. Cause if we do it again tomorrow, we might not get lucky and we're too good to rely on luck, right? We rely on flawless execution. Perfect practice makes perfect train how you fight. The only way that we can do that is keep a running log of everything that we can do better. And then after some time goes by, take those principles. And if you see some of the state, same stuff coming up, then you put that into a binder that you can call a standard operating procedures binder. That's what we used to call it. But mm -hmm. this becomes policy, right? This becomes the way you do business. This becomes your standard. And when you have that standard, it becomes really easy to hold people accountable to that standard because now it's not this, motivational thing it's not this you know like even the word culture it, it just sounds mystical it sounds magical like a like a vapor in the wind here one moment and, and and gone the next you need to define what that culture is going to be by creating a standard holding everyone up to it and then guess what if they're not living up to that standard then it's time to take action see that that's absolutely fascinating because the old style of coaching in my opinion was all about rules we got rules if you're this that and <clears throat> modern coaching, in my opinion, is all about standards uh, because sometimes 
you know, in the past, my best player in an NBA team, he might have been, as you were, two minutes late. But there was a reason why, a good reason. And it only happened once, as opposed to the guy that's late all the time. Big difference, right? And right. and so, you know, I think there needs to be standards that we can all agree on, you know, democracy-wise, that, you know, that, you know, really establish who we are and therefore we'll perform better as opposed to rules and we break rules and we're living by fear as opposed to living by that high standard. You know, a simple one was, you know, just the idea of having no excuses. <laughs> you know, right. if you're if you're in an ops overseas in Iraq or something you can't have yeah but you know there were a lot of guys there that wouldn't let us in you know <laughs> there's no excuses you know for what your your mission was you know or geez there were they had huge guns you know I mean it doesn't matter and so I think you know and so in sports the officiating sucks you know the referee or we were playing on the road you know how, how are we supposed to just you got to build in no excuses mentality otherwise as the week weak-minded you do quit i think you know i, I agree 100 percent. i'll tell you one way to generate the buy-in um that you need to eliminate the excuses is when you're developing that standard a really nice way to pull everybody in on it is have them help you develop that standard so if you can find some of the more influential people on the team and then pull them in and give them a leadership role and say hey we're gonna this is one thing i do as a consultant right Hey, we're going to develop this thing together um, and we're going to create a standard. Well, if they help develop it, it is so easy to hold them accountable to it because you can say, hey, you did this. You told me you were going to do this. This is a commitment that you made to me and to yourself and it ain't happening. What do we got to do? Should we change the standard? What are we doing here? The conversation changes because it's not us versus them anymore. It's, hey, we're in this together. I love that. That's great. Hey, Nick, you know, as a Navy SEAL, uh, you knew your purpose, why you did it, wh- wh- what we were in it for, God, country, the whole deal. You wanted to be with your brothers. You wanted to save our country and all that, and you were committed to the mission, et cetera. Okay, now, fast forward. You're grown up now. Now you're, you, know, you speak, you write book. What's your purpose? Why now? What do you do? What do you, why are you doing what you do now? Great question, Coach. I love that because, you know, I thought that I had arrived. Um, when I left the military and started contracting for an agency, I was doing two months on, two months off, you know, working exactly in the Middle East, right where I wanted to be. And then when I was home, I was with family and, and there was no, you know, office to go to. Man, I was loving it. And, and I got hurt. Um, I got hurt. I was rolling Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu with some of my friends over there and I smashed a disc. And spent the next three days laying in my in my room in this palace over there. I say palace. I mean, it's a war zone. Um, my friends are bringing me food. Um, I felt like I was just down hard and, and had nothing to contribute. I ended up having to come home and get a spinal fusion surgery. And I realized that my days of working with the gun were over. Everything that I had built, everything that I had became was done. And I was left abandoned. Um, I reached out to a couple of good friends of mine. David Rutherford's one of them. Um, you know, and, and they lifted me up and said, Hey man, it's time to turn the page. It's time to move on. And I knew that there was a vacuum. There was this void of purpose. My why had been lost and I had to fill that. So I thought, what was my why when I was living by the sword? What was that? Because 
I'll tell you right now, if you're in a firefight, you're not hearing like the Rocky music. You're not hearing, you know, the Star Spangled Banner while you're out there doing your thing. All that stuff goes away. There's no flag waving and, you know, beautiful lights and fireworks or anything like that. It is just about the man next to you. The only thing that matters is the person next to you. It was that brotherhood, that camaraderie that, that I knew I would come to miss so much, but that was always the reason why I kept going. Um, that, that got me through so many tough situations. So I said, you know what, how about I take that same why, that same purpose, but I show other people the way. They don't even know what they're missing out on because they've never had what I had. So maybe I can help people start to build that within their own organizations, within their own experience. And then I can sit back and watch and see the joy on their face and see, and see the, the good fruit that, that tree bears. And, and that's what kept me going, man. I ended up going to school just to get better at that. Ended up writing my book because of that. Uh, my entire career is, is built off sharing with other people what I had so that they can reap the benefits. You know, your why becomes even more powerful as you have more success doing this now. And now you take on greater meaning because of how you're impacting people's lives. And, you know, I think that is, you know, the the biggest thing. When, how many people are in your unit uh, when you're on a mission, special forces, let's say, on a SEAL team? Uh, it depends. I mean, you might be, I've worked in four-man teams. I actually worked in two-man teams for a little while. Um, and then you can have as much as, you know, 40, 50 people out there. It just wow. depends on the nature of the mission. Now, though, the exciting part is you have the ability to go out and work with a company that might have 25,000 people in the corporation. You might be able to change the way the leaders think and how they're leading them or, or, or to think of a 80, you know, an 88-member college football team or a 53-man NFL team and knowing that, the one thing that you say to one player might change the way they approach their job. And that's so powerful. It's so rewarding because now words matter. The relationships you have with people, there's someone that you're talking to on a daily basis. I'm sure Nick, that's waiting for someone to just touch them in their lives. And I think that is one of the most powerful thing of mentoring and coaching is that, is that they they want to hear sometimes a different voice than the one that they hear every day. I'm sure, you know, you loved hearing Jim's voice after a while, but I'm sure he pissed you off a lot too. And so <laughs> it's so important that all of a sudden, if someone walked in and said, you could be the best SEAL we've ever had, you would have gone through the room. You would have run there without anyone. And, and so I think that, or you never would have been late to start with, you know. And I think that sometimes someone says something at the right time, it can really, really, uh, you know, send you on your way. Uh, in your book, okay, and I think it's an incredible read, is that what, what, are, what are your main points that you're trying to get across? Let's say to my group here that you're speaking to, to coaches, and we're high school, college, professional coaches, all those people, and we're not just in the U.S., we're worldwide. Yeah. So what I wanted to do was take, see, I, I have some benefits of the way that I grew up. I have discipline, right? I have structure. I have organization. A lot of this was handed to me from as early as boot camp on. And there's so many people out there that wish that they had that experience, but didn't. So I wanted to condense 13 principles that you can take into your life and add the structure that's necessary to get to the next level. I talk about how to structure your relationships. I talk about how to mentor, you know, all of these principles are, are built around actionable items. 
stuff that so i use a story that's cool right and it's fun and pretty much like here's where i learned it um and then i take that and i synthesize it with some some higher level principles you know for existence like the aggregation of marginal gains you know something that you hear a lot from like a, a sports psychologist and then i just break that down into actionable items here's what you can do today um and it's all about the structure that's necessary to build on the foundation mm-hmm you know, uh, I, I'm really when when I was going through and reading about your background and reading about how the hell's a guy now? Old Miss is not known as a it's a it's a good school, but how the hell do you drop out of Old Miss and then up, end up going to Harvard Business School? <laughs> Explain that to you our know, coaches, please. I know so, sometimes I feel like I just forced gumped my way through this life. Like, how did any of this stuff happen? Um, but here's the truth, man: is none of this stuff came easy. You know, I'm just used to having to claw my way tooth and nail through everything. You know, a little guy with large aspiration, it's built into the system. But more importantly than anything else is the amount of time and calories spent on investing into other people. So how the Harvard thing happened was a friend of mine who, you know, I'd invested into him time and time again. You know, he calls three in the morning. I pick up the phone, you know, Um, had, had worked his way into that program. And made really good friends with with some of the people on the admissions team. So I ended up, you know, meeting all of them. And and from then on, it was, you know, I got noticed. And I was able to get in there. And now I had already been through business school at the University of San Diego. Um, I finished up my undergraduate degree when I was still active duty. I finished up my master's, or just shy of, I, I had almost finished my master's when I hurt my back when I was contracting. So I started doing school again early. Um, so the grades were there, you know, but it's really hard to get into those programs and some of it does matter who, you know, um, so I was able to break that wall. And what's cool about that is now I've built such strong relationships over there. Get this, man. Um, Harvard is going to actually push out my book. I'm actually going to publish a couple articles and I'm speaking there this summer. So it's really gotten to the next level. I, I don't understand it, but. Um, I'm a brand ambassador now. I help out with the admissions process and I just want as much as I can get. You know, I love that organization and what they stand for. I mean, th- their motto is truth. You know, I can get behind that. Well, you are elite. You know, you go to the best school in the country and you finish your best of our service that we have and we thank you for that. But I'll tell you what, this read is incredible. Our coaches love to read about high performers they'd love to read about different things outside believe it or not outside basketball because i think you learn more outside you know and and i think your book is just incredible i love the title we do applaud our friend john gordon for that high performance lessons and habits from a former navy seal nick hayes you are elite and thank you so much for doing this and i know our coaches benefited greatly Brendan, thank you so much for having me on, man. This was a lot of fun. Oh, Nick, let me ask you, uh, how do our listeners get the book? Yeah, so it's available on Barnes & Nobles. Um, it's uh, it's on Amazon. I'm recording the audiobook right now, so it'll be on Audible. Um, it comes out May 29th. And, you know, if, if you have any questions on that, be sure to follow me on any social media platform. I'm Nick Hayes Life. And then my... My website is EliteTeams.com. So Give me that once again, your website you once again. Nick. And, uh, I'll make sure it gets to me as well. All right. Hey, Nick, thank you again. Really appreciate it, and best of luck to you. All right. Thanks a lot, Brennan. Take care, brother.
incredible content and lessons for us. Make sure you follow Nick on Twitter at Nick Hayes Life. And again, grab that book, May 29th. I'm so excited. I was blown away by it. Uh, Elite. Now, we're coming up to some other elite training, and that being July 8 and 9 in Las Vegas, our VIP clinic that I'll tell you what, the speakers are off the charts. Again, here's what you get. Your videos for every speaker, a couple of meals with our staff and other uh, attendees, dry fit t-shirt, coaching you notebook. It's going to be incredible content. Uh, Again, the relationships we have, we've had people that have been there all 11 years. You don't want to miss it. Make sure you sign up. Still on our last uh, discount. Make sure you you grab it before the end of May. Till next week, this is the coach, Brendan Sears.